Welcome to Future Forecast, a podcast about technology, leadership, and sustainability with leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world. I'm your host, Isabel Ringness, and today we'll be talking about women in tech and the battle for more diversity in the field. We're talking to one of the most visible, inspiring, and outspoken women on this topic, Tracy Chow. Tracy is a software engineer from Stanford and was one of the very first hires at Quora and Pinterest and has internship experience from Rocket Fuel, Google and Facebook. She's headed several impactful initiatives highlighting the lack of diversity in tech and has spoken at stages all over the globe, including Vogue Australia Conference, Stanford University Entrepreneurial Thought Leader Series and TechCrunch Disrupt in San Francisco. In 2012, just 25 years old, she was named one of the 25 most powerful engineers, women in tech. Thank you so much for joining us, Tracy. Wow, thanks for such a wonderful introduction. I'm honored to be here. Cool. So to give our listeners some context, I had the pleasure, the big pleasure of meeting you when I was uh, living and working in London and uh, our common, I guess you could say, um, career coach, Pascal Finet, also interviewed on this podcast. He connected us. And uh, I remember I was totally starstruck because you're one of the strongest voices in the world advocating a passion that I deeply, deeply share with you, the call for more diversity in tech. But first, I want our listeners to know and to or to get to know you a little bit better. Um, what's your story? Why did, why did you decide to go into tech? Sure. So a lot of people hearing my story will think that it's very obvious that I would have ended up in tech. I grew up in the Bay Area. Both of my parents are software engineers. Uh, they both have PhDs in computer science. And um, I was just always in that environment. My parents had a startup and growing up, I remember going to their office after school and playing with the cardboard boxes and all the free AOL CDs. So you could say I was always surrounded by tech. Um, when I went to university, I studied electrical engineering for my undergrad and then computer science for the master's, um, almost fell into the tech industry uh, just by wandering around uh, career fairs at Stanford. There are so many tech companies that are always looking for um, technical majors. And I actually ended up with um, a couple of my internships just because I was wandering around looking for free things that the companies were giving out. And I had to <laughs> give them my resume in order to get the free stuff at the career fairs and then ended up interviewing and um, getting offers and eventually accepting those offers to work at Google and at Facebook. Um, and then you, you kind of wanted to be um, a mark or to go into marketing, right? Yeah. So the, the flip side of this, um, the part that may not be as um, obvious to glean from my resume is that despite all of the stuff um, that I was involved with participating in, I never really felt uh, at place or at home in this environment. Um, there weren't very many women around. And that was just something that I had accepted as the state of the world. Um, people would often ask me if I had considered non-technical roles, um, despite the fact that I was solidly in engineering. People would frequently ask me, have you considered um, product management or marketing or sales or something that's non-tech? And because people so often ask me if I was interested in doing these other things and nobody ever really asked me, are you excited to be a software engineer? Uh, I thought it was more natural for me to go into a non-tech um, area, even if I was going to work in the tech industry. And uh, you know, there's also the, the pushback from my um, classmates 
and people who would just voice doubt um, that women could be good at computer science or at coding. Uh, so when I was graduating, I thought you know, this whole engineering thing was great to have uh, as my educational training, but I wanted to do something else. And so I was looking into things like marketing and anything non-tech. Um, and actually, when I uh, spoke to Facebook for my internship, I had originally asked them if they had any non-coding roles. So this is all to say that despite everything being set up for me to go into a technical career in tech, I felt like there were such strong headwinds on that path uh, that I many times um, almost went away from it. And it was only when I first started working full time. So when I graduated from Stanford, I went to go work at Quora, uh, which was then only four people. And I was the fifth person on the team um, that I realized how wonderful it is to be an engineer and building something from the ground up. Uh, back then, obviously, Quora was very tiny as a company, but also as a product. Um, we were just imagining then what this platform could be. Um, back then, when we told people that we were working on questions and answers, um, the pushback would be, so like Yahoo Answers, like really terrible content. Mm -hmm. uh, and we had to believe in this different vision and build out the product. Um, and it was just so exciting to finally see uh, what it meant to be an engineer and to build things. And uh, it was only in that first job that I really became very passionate about being a software engineer because I could see what the impact could be. And I could also see how much it mattered um, that we had these perspectives around the table as we were discussing what to build. Um, so, for example, the first thing that I built um, when I joined Quora was the block button because someone was harassing me. In fact, we only had a couple thousand users, so it wasn't like it was a huge community of bad people. Um, but even that early there were unpleasant experiences um, that I was having on the platform. And luckily I was an engineer and I was empowered to go build the things that would make my experience better. But I can imagine that if that early team had been less diverse or there hadn't been um, someone with my experiences, then the anti-harassment and moderation tools probably would have been built much later. Yeah, exactly. And it's still, I mean, it's still a big problem that women and uh, minorities are harassed a lot more online than anyone else. Uh, so it's obvious that this is a problem that uh, companies need more diversity to tackle, or at least uh, they need to be more aware that this is actually tools that they need to build out. And then you, you left Quora, and then you were one of the very first employees at Printrust. And then uh, you attended uh, a Grace Hopper celebration in 2013, which uh, is an annual conference dedicated to fostering the work of women in computing. And after that conference, you decided that it was time that now we needed to see the numbers and do something about the growing issue. So you wrote a very famous blog post encouraging companies to submit their diversity numbers in technical roles. And within a week, 50 companies had submitted their numbers. And to this day, I believe there are 280 companies, probably more, that have contributed. Uh, and I think the overall is that women make up about 19.8% of engineers. So in your, in your view, why has it been so important for companies to submit these kinds of numbers and what kind of impact have you seen that it's had? Right. Um, so 
Thank you for that wonderful summary. And uh, it's so funny presented that way. It seems like there's such a clear path um, to where we are now with all this diversity data. Uh, back then when I wrote the post, it was much more nebulous and just kind of me getting some thoughts out of my head um, onto the page, but not necessarily anticipating that there would be much impact. Um, where I was at that point in 2013 was looking around, seeing not a lot of diversity and uh, at that point, also just to contextualize, much more of the conversation was around gender and not even um, starting to think about race. Um, but when I would look around at companies, um, people would be lamenting lack of diversity, but also not knowing what to do about it. Um, and some companies would talk about flashy efforts that they had uh, or very expensive efforts. So. For example, at that time, Facebook was in the press quite a bit about their very generous parental leave policies. Um, and there are various companies that would talk about how much effort they were putting into Grace Hopper and sending a lot of their employees there. And I was thinking about um, what recommendations I could take back to my employer, Pinterest, uh, which was much smaller as a company. And uh, when I thought about it from the very engineering perspective of where are the metrics and where um, is there known to be success in deploying certain strategies, I realized that we didn't have any data at all. And from an industry that is so data driven, it felt hypocritical, or ironic that we didn't have any understanding of where we were in terms of our workforce. Um, so as an engineer, or you know, if you work in product, you're very familiar with the idea of um, everything being data-driven and running A-B tests for new features to understand what the impact is of rolling out something new, um, what the impact on the metrics is, and measuring success with all of this data and using that to guide strategy. And there was no data at all on diversity. And so in the back of my head, I was keeping track of various startups since I had been working in the startup space for a while. So off the top of my head, I knew Know, like the two or three female engineers at Dropbox or at Pulse or at Stripe. So I just kind of kept track of them in my head. But I realized that it would be beneficial if we had more of that data across industries so we could understand what the benchmarks were and also if we're making progress or not. So as people were talking about rolling out these um, new diversity initiatives, it'd be useful to understand if they were actually changing uh, the numbers in a way that we wanted to, to see them. So I think what's um, so important is that we have a fundamental understanding of where we are um, and how different companies um, measure up to industry. And then also um, these numbers help us understand what different techniques are actually effective. Um, and as we look at the last few years now that companies are in a cadence of releasing data every year, we can see how slow the progress has been. There has been some improvement um, on the gender diversity side. So if you look at women in tech roles, uh, women in leadership, there's been some slight upward movement. Um, so for some companies, it's gone from something like 15% female in tech to maybe like low 20s um, in the percentage points. But we've also seen in some cases backsliding on racial diversity. So this is very useful to know uh, as we're strategizing, we can't just do things like gender first, like we'll take care of the women first and then we'll do all the rest of diversity later because it turns out that you do have to be very intersectional in your approach and think about 
what are all these different intersect intersecting dimensions of people's identity and experience, we can't just focus on, say, women first, which often ends up being white women first, and expect that we'll have the true benefit of the diversity that we're seeking to get. No, exactly. Uh, I fully agree. Uh, we're, we're working with the, the same kind of strategy that you laid out now, where you work evidence-based and data-driven throughout, uh, throughout the whole process in Equality Check that we just uh, launched. But I, I want to kind of um, talk a little bit more about your personal experiences with being a, a woman in tech, because I think many people know the challenges, but then they're not exactly sure what it's really like. I, you've been considering leaving the field several several times, uh, as at least I've read that online and from our brief conversations, I know that as well. What, what, what have been some of the experiences that you've had when you're at conferences or when you're the only woman on a team, for example? The first thing I would say is to frame this whole discussion. Um, there's the really extreme cases of being discriminated against or being dismissed um, as a woman or minority in the field. And those are some of the ones that get the most attention sometimes if you like look at the press. Um, but there's also the everyday experience of being a woman or minority in the field, which is just very different um, than that of being a man. And sometimes the differences um, are subtle. And sometimes they're just so persistent that they fade into the background. So that's just contextual. Um, again, uh, more context. If you were to um, analogize this to uh, experience in the world, um, one thing that's come up recently is people talking about um, street harassment and feeling physically safe um, on the road. And... Most men never really think about safety as they're walking on the streets, but women have to think about harassment essentially every day and uh, every time they're out on the street. And so I think the experience of being a woman in tech is um, different than being uh, a man in tech in, in similar ways um, where there's very subtle things that accumulate over time. So I can share some of the more egregious experiences, like going to conferences and not being taken seriously, um, and men telling me that I wouldn't understand the answers to the questions I had asked them, uh, or just dismissing me, and uh, not being willing to talk to me when I was wearing a dress, but being okay talking to me when I was wearing t-shirt and jeans and in the proper uniform of being a software engineer. Um, and you know, there's also the uh, cases of coworkers who would say things like, oh, I didn't think girls cared about their careers. I thought they only cared about having babies. Uh, so really egregious. Ugh, so stereotypical. But I think it's actually more the day-to-day -day experience. It's more frustrating um, where in meetings, you're just not taken as seriously um, and ideas proposed um, wouldn't really catch until a man repeated them. Um, and when companies were considering promotion, um, filling roles of tech lead or manager, tending to go with the people that look more like what they expect. So usually white or Asian men. Um, it, there's, there's a lot of different ways to characterize this experience. I would say just overall, it still is much tougher being a woman and being a minority, and if we're looking at the intersectional angle, being a minority woman is even harder. 
Yeah. And um, it reflects throughout all of tech. Um, and I can speak to that from being an engineer and then being a tech lead. Um, and now I'm a founder um, and I can feel this reflected in fundraising meetings, um, in trying to hire people. Uh, for example, uh, I was looking at hiring someone to be a CTO for my company um, a couple months ago. And I thought that we were on pretty good terms. We were co-working and testing out, um, working together. But at the end of a couple of weeks of working together, he accidentally emailed me his private diary full of unflattering and pretty coded sexist thoughts about me. What? And to be honest, I wasn't even upset about this because I, I'd already sensed it subconsciously, I think, um, from him and from many other people in the field. So despite all the credentials I have accrued and all the work I've put in um, and all the experiences I've had that make me, like, that have put me in a good position, I still don't get the benefit of the doubt. Um, and I feel like I have to continuously prove myself again to these people who just can't somehow fathom that a woman could be competent. Oh my gosh. And that's, I mean, it's that, that's just crazy to hear. And sadly, this is the reality for very many women. And, and, you know, it's, it's just like you point out, it's a lot of it that's unconscious and it's very hard to kind of point out, but it's those micro aggressions, I guess you would call them that continuously flow throughout the day that have accumulated a big effect um, and then you, who everyone kind of knows about in the in the tech world, at least, that you still have to endure all that, uh, even when you have that status and position is it's it's just so crazy. And we really need to to fix this. And I find it really important to note, because often you hear that stereotypical claim being like, well, women just, you know, don't like math or STEM or tech. But you know, tech did not used to be a male-dominated field. Women used to dominate this field up until the 1980s. And when it became more prestigious, men kind of swooped in and took the jobs. And then when the very first computers were marketed, they were averaged uh, or marketed to average households. They were mostly marketed to boys with very kind of stereotypically male games. And then when this generation entered college, boys naturally had more experience with computers. And then girls dramatically fell off. I believe it was 13. 37 to 17% in the course of 10 years or something. And honestly, it doesn't look that much better today. Uh, in your view, I mean, <laughs> I run a few initiatives in Norway to inspire young girls to choose tech because, I mean, we need to get them on board now. What do you think is the most important thing to tell this growing generation of girls in order for them to be inspired to choose a technology? I think the most important thing is understanding what is possible with technology and um, choosing a career in tech or just even understanding the principles behind tech so you can collaborate with others who are more technical. Um, it just gives you so much potential impact for achieving the good stuff. Um, I need to dig more into this research, but I have read that um, when you talk to little girls, little boys, 
um, you ask them what they want to be when they grow up. Girls are more interested in things that seem to be good for society where they can understand um, what sort of positive impact they can have. So things like being a nurse or a teacher um, or even veterinarian, where it's very clear what kind of um, help they can provide to the world. Um, and there's a question of um, how do we connect the means to the ends uh, when we portray technology and engineering as um, just the type of work you do um, and portray it as being at a computer, typing lines of code, um, or working with a certain set of tools, but not connecting it to what is the impact, then I think we are losing out a lot of people who would be really excited to choose technology if they can understand how it would um, you know, like turbocharge whatever other efforts say um, an impact they would want to have in the world. Um, so I think that's probably the the, the biggest thing is um, like explaining more of like what the impact of technology is, how technology is so woven into our lives. And I think that is becoming increasingly clear, um, even just with the fact that we all have smartphones and we're surrounded by technology all the time, uh, not just the hardware, but also the software. And we now are familiar with all these consumer tech brands like Google and Facebook and Snap and Instagram. And people are starting to understand more how technology is so pervasive in our lives. Um, I think there's, there's still uh, more work to be done there in connecting these professions and um, these industries with what kind of impact people in those industries can have. I also read a recent uh, research report from Microsoft showing that if a girl has a role model in STEM, she's more than twice as likely to be interested in the field. So uh, you're doing very good uh, as a role model in STEM, and hopefully that will inspire more young girls to choose the field as well. But I want to tap on uh, one last kind of, uh, I guess, conflict that we have coming in. And that's everything that's going on in AI and machine learning and the impact that these algorithms are going to have on future generations. I think diversity is more important than ever uh, to really focus on right now in order to ensure that we build a future that benefits everyone, not just the people building it, which uh, unfortunately is very homogenic. Uh, So, for example, image recognition, Uh, there was a New York Times article a few months ago showing that a study from MIT lab found that uh, the uh, image recognition systems of Facebook and Microsoft and IBM and so on are 99% likely to accurately identify a white male, but the error rate is 35% when it's a black woman. Uh, And you can kind of imagine these kinds of failures in the future when we have image recognition in our self-driving cars, which we increasingly uh, already do have today. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy to kind of think about what the lack of diversity can have as a potential consequence in the future. Have you, what, when you talk about this, what are the potential consequences that you highlight if we don't succeed uh, in terms of getting more diversity in tech? Oh, there's so many. Um, So some of the ones that you've already shared, um, but I think there's also a lot that we can't even anticipate. Um, So part of the goal of getting more diversity and inclusion into our workforce is that we can reduce these blind spots. Um, I can see certain things from where I stand, um, but there are many other people who will have broader perspectives and different perspectives. Um, 
and we need to get them into the industry so we can you know build inclusive technology um some of the sort of uh areas that that scare me um are around the societal impacts of technology we're building so let's just take um, self-driving cars which you mentioned so we look at the car service companies like uber and lyft um, and many others globally and right now they hire drivers um usually as contractors um but these companies are also simultaneously working as quickly as they can towards autonomous vehicles so they no longer have to pay humans because paying humans is expensive um, and they're not profitable now because they have to pay humans but what happens when uh, we do achieve autonomous vehicles um, being deployed and all of these people are now out of jobs uh, what kind of impact does that have on society um, are we going to be prepared to reskill people or provide for people even if they're not working? Um, will there be societal unrest? Uh, what impact does that have on our politics? I think we're already starting to see some of this in um, more extremism and populism and politics. And this is all tied to economics and technology and uh, both in the sense of automation and in AI is um, concentrating wealth more and making some things more efficient such that we don't need as many people. Uh, so these kinds of impacts are kind of unknown what they will be, and I don't know how we're going to deal with them. Um, there's a lot of other stuff that's been in the news recently around um, the social platforms and how information or misinformation gets spread across them. And uh, this is something where it's a little bit, it, it might have been hard to anticipate for most people, even if we had had um, more diversity of demographics um, in the teams that we're building, let's say the newsfeed algorithms um, or the product design for Facebook, Twitter, et cetera. Uh, we might not have been able to anticipate fully what would happen. Um, there were some people that were kind of ringing the alarm bells. Um, but this is the deployment of AI where we're trying to encourage more engagement on platforms, um, more time reading articles, more click throughs, et cetera. And that's caused more clickbait to rise to the top um, and certain uh, virality of, of news and types of news being shared. And this clearly has an impact on even things like public health uh, when you have uh, anti-vaxxers talking about how vaccinations are bad for children. And, and now we're seeing measles outbreaks and when we had all thought that this was a problem that we had solved already. Mm. Um, but I, I don't know that it was super clear from you know, 10 or 15 years ago that uh, deploying AI in newsfeed would have caused measles outbreaks, you know? It's crazy. It's crazy. And, and we're seeing so many different versions of, of, the um, unexpected consequences of technology and social media and algorithms. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's scary. And it's uh, a lot of complex topics that we need to tackle and battle before they become a part of our world for good. Uh, but then you've launched uh, two projects that I've read about um, that uh, wrapping up this interview, I want to know more about. The one is called 
Moving Forward, and the other is called Project Include. Could you tell me a bit about what uh, what these different, are they companies or inif- initiatives are about? Sure. Um, Project Include is a nonprofit, and it's focused on diversity and inclusion with tech startups. And so our mission there is to give everyone the opportunity to succeed in tech. Um, and moving forward is... I would call it a project or a movement. Um, and we've discussed formalizing it as a nonprofit, but aren't quite there yet. Um, moving forward works with venture capital firms to establish and publish anti-harassment policies. And so project includes more startups and moving forward is more um, BC firms. Project include, uh, we started off as compiling a set of resources and recommendations around implementing diversity and inclusion. Uh, Everything from defining what kind of culture you want in your company to implementing that culture, uh, to doing hiring and manager training, resolving conflict, measuring progress. Um, We first launched with this set of resources. It's essentially a handbook um, for startups. And we also frame it with... um, like underlying values and how to think about implementing DNI, um, being truly inclusive and intersectional and understanding that diversity is not just gender, um, being comprehensive and not thinking of it as just quick uh, tick the box type items, and then uh, you know, having accountability and having metrics. Um, after we launched the resources, uh, because there was such positive feedback in the community, we also programmatized it. And so we run something called Startup Include, where we have cohorts of companies that we work with. Uh, we have their CEOs participate in a few meetings uh, where we're discussing actual implementation of uh, diversity and inclusion initiatives. And Project Include works with the companies in the cohorts as well to run surveys and analyze the data. So the surveys... Um, are somewhat like uh, employee engagement surveys where we're trying to understand sentiment and uh, more of the qualitative side of things, but also have pretty detailed demographic data so we can do interesting analysis around, uh, you know, does belonging, the sense of belonging vary by different demographics in a company? Um, Do different demographics believe in their ability to succeed or do they believe in the leadership as much? Um, So it's mixing the qualitative and the quantitative there. We also, yeah. Sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. Uh, And we also put out um, a pretty regular stream of uh, publications or articles um, on our medium and in collaboration with more mainstream media uh, and just try to push the conversation there. So that's Project Include. Um, And then Moving Forward came out of uh, of the Me Too movement and looking at um, harassment in the tech industry. Obviously, it's uh, not so different than other industries where there is power dynamics and abuse of power. Um, But as we were looking specifically at the tech industry and um, venture capital, which is where uh, the Me Too movement in tech first kind of came out, we saw that uh, the sort of standard protections that you might have um, against harassment, uh, sexual harassment and other the typical protections only apply to people within a company. Uh, so if we're looking at the relationship between venture capitalists and founders, just often in a sort of social realm and the gray area, it's not totally clear what protections founders have uh, and 
that's just a nice way of saying they don't really have any protections. Mm. Um, and so we uh, have pushed venture capital firms to have anti-harassment policies that will cover founders and lay out pretty explicitly um, what constitutes harassment, what is acceptable, what is not acceptable, and then also uh, reporting mechanism. So point of contact within the firm or some sort of third party so that founders have recourse. Uh, we launched in 2018 um, on International Women's Day and uh, started off with something like 40 firms. And now we're up to about 130 or so. Um, we actually did our Europe launch. Uh, earlier this year and have 20 or 30 firms in Europe now. So we're really excited that it's kind of going global. And um, we view this as a first step for VC firms to be thinking about the foundations of um, a more inclusive environment. Don't think this is the end all be all by any means. This is just a first step, but we are excited that uh, people are starting to codify protections and um, what they desire for a more inclusive environment. Awesome. Uh, you have just an incredible drive, so much passion for this. And uh, on behalf of myself and every other woman in tech, thank you for everything that you're doing. We have to wrap up, unfortunately, because time is running away and you're in Paris. And uh, I hope you want to go out and explore the beautiful city that is Paris. But first, we have three questions. Um, Tracy, if you could uh, give your 20 year old self one piece of advice, what would you tell you? Mm. stick it out it's all gonna be okay <laughs> <laughs> that's great great advice uh do you have any book podcast or anything else that you would like to recommend to our listeners a couple of books i've read recently that i love one is all the single ladies and it's about um the rise of independent women in society and the other book is rage becomes her uh, about the power of women's anger. Mm. <laughs> well, that sounds uh, that sounds really interesting. Sounds like something for for me as well. Uh, <laughs> where where should uh, where should people go to follow you online? I am on Twitter, um, and I tweet a lot, <laughs> maybe too much. Uh, my handle is Trickatora, uh, T R I K E T O R A. Cool. Well, I hope you get a slew of Nordic listeners after this podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, Tracy. Thank you so much, Isabel. Thank you for listening to Future Forecast. Tune in next week for more exciting insights on the future. I'm your host, Isabel Ringness. Please share the podcast with anyone you think may find it interesting. Tune in next week. <laughs>